welcome to episode 184 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I need to say thanks to our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Rochelle, Sam Landia, Lee Bwale, Thomas Fitzpatrick, AJ, Sandra George, Amy Whittefield, Tegan Mills, Emma Hales, Nina Lorimer Easley, Lindsay Luby, Tamira Walker, Ruperta Nelson, Kai Delahanty, Creepy Mamie, Alan Campbell, Kawaga Mom, Rebecca Ashlock, George Finley, and Michelle Nicely. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And I have a promo for you this week. This week's promo is Across the Cemetery, a podcast delving into the occult, paranormal, true crimes and all things spooky. Emma and Josh bring you paranormal cases such as Ghosts of the Titanic, Black Eyed Kids, Creepy Schools, Creepy Cemeteries and lots of great horror film reviews. Also, this is a complete aside, but Emma and I are like basically the same person. <laughs> uh, when they messaged me on Instagram to say, look, we've got a we've got a new podcast um, and I offered to play their promo, etc, etc. I went and had a little bit of a stalk of Emma's Instagram. Sorry, Emma, um, that's kind of weird, but I'm just I'm, I'm putting myself out there, you know. I like stalking people's Instagram accounts, okay? Had a little bit of a stalk for Instagram and I feel like we're basically the same person. So that has blown my mind a little bit. Down to the fact that we have a very similar dress sense. And we obviously have very similar taste in spooky shit too. So um, they also have two lovely cats. I'm just going to play the promo and I'm going to stop rambling on. So that is Across the Cemetery. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Have a listen to the promo and if you like it, go and give them a listen. Hello. And welcome to Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. My name's Josh. We are your hosts and we love ghosts. So we are a Liverpool-based podcast, if the accents haven't already given that away. And we live opposite a cemetery, so obviously the podcast pretty much names itself. Each week we'll tell you tales of the paranormal, occult and spooky ongoings in the world, or it may be true crime. We don't know what the topic is until it's time to conjure from the pumpkin head of prophecies and not an old candle jar from TK Maxx. Nope, not at all. There are also regular film reviews, because who doesn't like a film review? Let us waste time in our lives watching films so you don't have to, and then we'll tell you if it's worth it or not. We must also add that we are cat parents to two wonderful cats, who will make regular, unplanned appearances. So why not give us a listen, and join us as we explore the realms of the unknown and try to make sense of it all. Or maybe there is no sense to be found. Ooh! You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and most places it's worth getting your podcast from. You can also be found on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Just search Across the Cemetery. And our film review this week. Our film review is Possum. Possum was released in 2018. It has 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. After returning to his childhood home, a disgraced children's puppeteer is forced to confront his wicked stepfather and the secrets that have tortured his entire life. I've obviously split this into likes and dislikes, as I always do, but I the first sentence in my likes is literally, Jesus Christ, full stop. Just Jesus Christ, full stop. And that is honestly how I feel about this film. I have not stopped thinking about it. Jesus Christ... I mean, I wasn't okay after watching it. So just 
just yeah I, I was afraid to watch this film for a myriad of reasons right I was aware of it it was on my radar I'd read the synopsis I felt like oh I don't know if I want to watch this film because I I feel like it's going to be a bit of a mind fuck and I did an anonymous question box on Instagram on Instagram uh, which I do once a month and somebody brought it up and asked if I'd ever seen the film Possum so I said you know what I'm going to bite the bullet I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to do it and every week if you're not on social media every week I post a still image from the film on Instagram to to let people know what film I'm going to be reviewing and I put the trailer up on Facebook to let people know what film I'm going to be reviewing I have I was so afraid to watch this film that I literally didn't even watch the trailer didn't even watch the trailer because I was so freaked by this film before I even bloody watched it and I actually made sure that I watched it in the morning time and not at night time I waited until early morning to watch it because I just thought I'm not going to be able to do this at night time I do not want to watch this before I go to bed and and I will say that I was so disturbed by this film just completely disturbed by it so the lead character the disgraced children's puppeteer is played by Sean Harris and he is fantastic in this film. He is so good in this film. He is fantastic. Give that man an Oscar. Go back in time. Give that man an Oscar, please. And thank you. And that what this film does really well is, I felt anyway, it, it just is so dread inducing. The whole time around, the whole time watching this film, I just was filled with unease and anxiety I kind of figured maybe elements of what was going on quite early on and then I was dreading the reveal of what was going on and the film is centred around Sean Harris returning to his childhood home to destroy this giant fucking spider puppet that's a body of a spider and then has this white Voldemort type fucking human head that is a version of Sean Harris's face and I'm not afraid of puppets or spiders if they're big spiders they freak me out a bit but if it's a if it's a spider and a puppet fine like a puppet spider fine but this puppet spider was honestly the worst thing I've ever seen it is so terrifying I love a film that doesn't rely on CGI doesn't rely on that many jump scares there's a couple of jump scares in this film um and I love a film that is more so a thinker rather than being really explicit about everything that's happening. If you like all of those things, I mean, this film is great, but you have to be in the frame of mind to watch it because it's just, whoo, it's intense. And that spider puppet thing was a stroke of genius in terms of bringing the horror because it is such a freaky prop. And I just I couldn't bear looking at it. I couldn't bear it being in the scenes. Like there's various scenes where the spider puppet is really scary. And I was not in a good place watching it. I really was not. So I don't know how I feel about dislikes for this film. Because there's actually... I found there was very little I disliked about it. In terms of bad decision making on behalf of the filmmakers. Or storyline. Or I don't... It's just so bleak. It's such a bleak film. There is no, there's no positives in the story. None at all. And I have to say, if you are somebody who has childhood trauma, then this film is not for you. No way. 
I would highly recommend doing a does the dog die search before you watch this film. So I, if you're new around here, does the dog die is a website where you can check and see if there are any things in a film that might be triggering for you in particular. So it's, it's, yeah, I would recommend doing a does the dog die search beforehand because it's intense. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dark shit going on in this film. It's not gory. Uh, there's no monster. There's no kind of traditional jump scares in that way. But it's a real slow burner. And there's very little dialogue. And I actually had to turn the subtitles on. Firstly because of the Norfolk accent. And secondly because of the um, the lead character mumbles quite a lot. So I had to sit and watch it with the subtitles on. And honestly this is not, it's not a light hearted film. You're going to walk away thinking about it. And if you get to the end... It is deeply upsetting. It's deeply upsetting. However, what I will say is that after I watched it, a couple of days later, I think Dave Keane watched it and we talked about the film and what we both thought of it. And our conversation about it led me to think, oh my God, I need to watch this film again. Because there's certain things, there's certain questions that it left me with that made me go, oh, <gasps> Did I miss that during the main body of the film? Did I miss something? If I go back and watch this again, will I be able to answer some of those questions for myself? Which I think is the sign of a really good film. And I'm I'm really conflicted about what score to give this film. I want to give it five stars because it's, it's really a, a good horror film. You know, it, it really is. It's... It's a thinker, it fills you with dread, it doesn't over rely on the Hollywoodization of horror films. It leaves you it, it leaves you feeling pretty fucking grim. Um but I also want to give it four stars because it's just oh god, it's so bleak. Oh it's so bleak. Oh Jesus Christ, it's so bleak. So I don't know. I'm I'm really I'm torn between four stars and five stars. And you know, it's been days since I've watched this film and it's still it's still rattling around in my brain and I've everybody I've seen since I've watched the film I've told them about it and told them to watch it so I don't know maybe it's a five star I don't know I'm conflicted okay I'm conflicted people which brings us to our story this week now our story this week I thought was going to be a straightforward little ghost story but it is not it is a Oh, it's a it's a good one. It is a good one. I'm not going to waste time waxing lyrical about it. Let's just get into it. Lately, I've been waking up between 3 and 4 a.m. every single morning. And the routine is the same. I wake up and I look to my window to try and ascertain what time it is. I sleep with the curtains open because I like to wake up to natural light in the morning. Generally, I look to the window and it's pitch dark and quiet the type of quiet that is suffocating and the type of quiet that only seems to happen at the witching hour. This is the only time that the stories of unseen horror from the podcast impact me. In that half slumbery state, I often begin to think, but what if? What if these things that go bump in the night are real? What if, for all of my logical cynicism, I am suddenly faced with the staticky blackness of a shadow figure, or what if the thick silence is pierced by the scrabbling thumps of something crawling at speed up the stairs? 
What if the door creaks open and on the other side is the spectral image of a long dead someone attached to the house or to the land? What if the dark is suddenly illuminated by an extraterrestrial beam shining through the window? What if, what if, what if? Generally, in spite of my worries, I will fall back asleep and in the light of morning, the house seems settled and calm and there is no thick silence or darkness to conjure up fears of the unknown. And in the cold light of day, I know that my fears are unfounded. They are born of a life that is spent immersed in the world of the supernatural. I am constantly enmeshed in ghosts, demons, cryptids, monsters, angels and aliens. The list is endless. But it does leave me wondering... What if I couldn't rationalise it? What would it be like to truly live in a house that you believe to be haunted? What if every creak and groan made your hair stand on end and made you think that it was the signal of something that was just beginning? Something genuinely sinister? Would I stay in the house? Or would I be forced to leave? Could I leave? Knowing that someone else would be unknowingly entering into my nightmare. Union, Missouri is a small town 50 miles southwest of St. Louis. Stephen Lachance had lived in Missouri all his life and suddenly found himself in Union as a single father to three children, Lydia, Michael and Matthew. His older sister had died and his wife had left and here he was trying to muddle through life doing the best for his children. After moving from place to place and trying to build a life, the perfect house finally appeared. It was a three-bedroomed house that was full of historic charm. It was in the town and close to the children's schools. The kitchen was big and fully equipped, and the living areas were spacious and had all of the original wood and features. It had a mud room and a basement, and more importantly, it was a house that the family could thrive in. There would be no more cramped spaces or difficult landlords or parties above in shoddy apartments. The house was generally well-maintained and unremarkable despite the fact that the owner was eccentric, to say the least. As the house was relatively old, it came with some oddities, like a butcher's shower in the basement, where men would sluice off blood and remnants of slaughter in order to not soil the house. The basement also had a fruit cellar, a little concrete room to store fruit. Hindsight is, as they say, a powerful thing, and perhaps if Stephen had really paid attention to his eccentric landlord, he may have been less inclined to move in, or, at the very least, more prepared. Do you believe in ghosts? The landlord had asked him during a tour of the property after Stephen had signed the lease. When he said no, the landlord laughed and, not very convincingly, made a vague and bizarre statement about some people not being the right fit for living in an old house. But not to worry... There were definitely no ghosts. And if Stephen had known what was coming, then maybe he would have noticed that the landlord refused to be in the house after darkness fell, and that every noise in the house seemed to send him into a petrified terror. It was the morning after they had moved in that Stephen noticed the first odd thing about their new home. Every room had a lock on its door but the lock was on the outside of the door, almost as if to keep someone or something in the room. 
Perplexed, Stephen made a mental note of it, but the whirlwind of moving in was all too consuming. Stephen and Lydia, who was now 12, methodically moved from room to room, dragging, tidying and unpacking. In the living room, Lydia made the executive decision that a large picture of two angels was to be hung, and Stephen dutifully hammered a nail into the wall to oblige the decorative decisions of his daughter. He hammered in the nail, hung the picture, and as he turned to leave the room, he heard a deafening crash as the picture fell from the wall. He cursed and rehung the picture. Crash. The same thing happened, and for a third time he turned again to hang the picture on the wall. This time, satisfied that he had hung the picture securely, he turned to leave the room. And this time, felt a whoosh of air as the picture hit the back of his ankles. The following morning, Stephen awoke to Lydia in his bed. When he asked her why, she said her closet door kept opening in the night, and it scared her. It was the children who alerted him to the strange goings-on of the neighbours first. And after they alerted him, as a family they would sit on the porch and make a game out of the neighbours' antics. It was odd, of course, that no one would walk in front of their house. Neighbours would literally cross the street before they got to the house to avoid walking in front of it. The family would wave at the neighbours, but nine times out of ten they would drop their heads and pretend as though they hadn't seen them. It was weird, yes. Stephen reasoned it was probably just a very closed and tight-knit community who didn't welcome newcomers easily. The days passed and life seemed to be verging on idyllic. The children had ample space to play and the house was coming together. The only problem was that the house seemed to be freezing all of the time and it was starting to get frustrating. One day Matthew screamed the house down after he claimed he was chased up the basement stairs by a monster. But Stephen calmed him down and checked the basement thoroughly, just like he would do if Matthew had had a nightmare and thought there was something in his room. Initially this alleviated these concerns but then it happened again, with Matthew screaming in real life terror and howling that while he was upstairs, he had turned to see a hideous creature scrambling up the stairs after him. Stephen started to worry. Divorce can cause children to act out in all kinds of ways and he was worried that Matthew's terror and obsession with this monster was actually to do with his mother's absence. One night Stephen drifted off to sleep, worrying about his children, and awoke in the night to see a man standing in the doorway. He was an older man in a red flannel shirt, standing expressionless, staring at him and the children, who had all bunked up in the same room. In the blink of an eye, he was gone. The house seemed to be plagued with electrical problems. Every time they left the house, every light would be switched on on their return. Stephen had resorted to going from room to room with Lydia before they left the house to ensure every light was off, and he would search the house from room to room on their return convinced that someone was in the house and had turned every light on. One day while standing in the sitting room, he felt an electrical jolt pass through him, as if a wall of electricity had washed over him. His hair stood on end and he spun around in shock, 
completely baffled by what he was feeling. He called his father, asking him to come and check the electrics in the house. His dad obliged, and as they moved through the house they heard bangs and thumps from upstairs which they assumed were the remaining boxes falling over or the children being particularly raucous. It was again in the sitting room when Stephen's dad turned and looked at him wide-eyed. He rolled up his sleeve to show that the hair on his arms was standing on end and without breaking eye contact he said, Stephen, I don't know what that is but that is not an electrical feeling that I have ever felt before. The whole family went for dinner in Stephen's parents' house and Stephen's dad approached him quietly and asked, Stephen, do you think your house could be haunted? On returning to the house that evening, Stephen's brain was scrambled with thoughts of his conversation with his dad. Could his house really be haunted? He was sure that the electrical feelings in the house were some sort of electrical anomaly. But what if it wasn't? On return home, the children jostled on the front porch, keen to be the first one into the house. And as Stephen rummaged for the right key, he felt a prickly sensation on the back of his neck. The sensation you get when you are being watched. He instinctively took a small step back and looked up at the windows above him. And there, watching him, from the window, was a black, shadowy figure. In the blink of an eye it was gone and Stephen shook his head. His conversation with his dad had obviously really gotten to him. It was later in the evening when the reckoning would come. The moment where everything would become clear and the family would be faced with cold, hard reality. Stephen and his three children were sitting in the living room playing Monopoly, and as with every game of Monopoly, it was fraught with tension, laughter, shouting and accusations of sabotage and money laundering. All in all, it was an idyllic family night in. Until Stephen began to feel that prickling sensation that was becoming all too familiar. He felt the temperature drop, and he felt the hairs on the nape of his neck stand on end. Something was behind him. He turned around from the games, expecting that he would see nothing and chastise himself for letting his imagination run away with him. But when he turned, he was met with his worst nightmare. The unmistakable shadow of a man was standing in the hallway watching him and the children. The shadow was big and looming and radiated a wild aggression. It seemed to be entirely made up of whirling, swirling black smoke. Stephen felt a ringing begin in his ears, slowly blocking out the squeals and squabbles of the children. He could hear his blood pulsing in his ears as the shadow took a step forward. This couldn't be happening. There was no way. He blinked. It was still there another step forward. He needed to get out. He needed to get the children out. But he didn't want to scare them. Another step forward. Dad, are you okay? And then, boom, the shadow broke into a sprint towards them and Stephen roared and fell backwards. Dad, what is it? Dad? 
The shadow figure was gone, but the electricity in the room was palpable. Kids, get your stuff. We're going to Grandma's for sodas. The children didn't even question it, but instead scrambled to their feet, making their way to the door. And then an anguished scream pierced the air. It wasn't coming from any of them. It was the scream of a man in terrible, terrible pain. The children scrambled to get out the door and they piled into the car with questions cascading from their mouths, but one sentence made them all stop and look back towards the house. It was from Matthew. Daddy? The basement monster is standing in the window. As Stephen lay in bed in his parents' house, the guilt overtook him. Matthew had said from the beginning that there was a monster in the basement. He had screamed the place down after being chased by this monster up the stairs. He had cried over a shadow figure that had appeared at the end of the hallway and ran towards him. And Stephen had dismissed him. Stephen had likened his experience to monsters under the bed after a bad dream. And now he had seen it for himself. He had seen the monster from the basement. And he knew that it was real. But he couldn't move himself and three growing children into his parents' house. He had no choice but to go back. Stephen took a deep breath as he put his key into the door. He was terrified to go back in. He imagined that just beyond the door, the hulking shadow figure was waiting for him. And while he tried to tell himself that it was illogical, the whole damn situation was illogical. Stephen's dad put his hand on his elbow gently. It's okay, I'm here. We can figure this out. His dad believed him and had had his suspicions since he first felt that strange electrical impulse. As they entered the house, the children seemed to have completely forgotten the previous events. They bounded in and disappeared down the corridors and through doors. Stephen and his dad stood in the hallway. The house felt quiet, but not the good kind of quiet. It was the calm before a storm kind of quiet, a quiet that feels loaded with expectation. There was a loud bang from upstairs, followed by a dragging sound. Stephen called up. Kids, you have to put away those boxes and stop dragging them around. The children responded from various parts of the house. None of them were upstairs, but the banging and the dragging continued. Before Stephen and his dad could investigate, Lydia called from outside. Dad? I think you need to come and see this. As they stood in the doorway of the little outhouse, Stephen struggled to take in what he was seeing. They hadn't really worried about the outside of the house until the inside was done. And now that they stood in the door, Stephen kicked himself for not checking. The outhouse was full of personal effects full to bursting with stuff from other families, other people, clearly previous tenants. There were things that you would take if you were moving. There was no way you would leave this stuff behind, and it wasn't just the personal effects of one tenant. 
It seemed to be the personal effects of multiple previous tenants which had been left behind and stuffed into the shed. Were they meant to come back and, and get them and then just never showed? But surely that wouldn't happen multiple times. It looked like these people had just left, vanished in the middle of the night and cut their losses. Speaking to the landlord had done nothing to alleviate Stephen's concerns about the shed full of vanished people. The landlord was vague and speculative and said that he believed that the previous tenants must have been in trouble with drugs or gangs because they all seemed to have fled in the night and never returned. Stephen knew that he wasn't being truthful. He knew that he was hiding something and decided that the best thing to do was to be up front and he asked if the house was haunted. Again he was met with vague answers about candles and witchcraft and previous tenants maybe being involved in satanic rituals. Which actually left Stephen with absolutely no answers. On top of all the stress and the strain of the unknown, Stephen had started having a strange reoccurring dream where he descended the stairs to the basement to figure out the source of the sound of running water. On the way, he would hear the laboured breathing of a man and he saw that the water was coming from the butcher's shower. A man was standing beneath it, trying to cleanse himself of a dark substance, scrubbing his skin raw. The laboured breathing was his panic of not being able to wash away the substance. He turned and his eyes were pure evil and he was covered in blood. After returning to the house, the family tried to get back to some semblance of a normal life. But it is difficult to have a normal life when every rattle and thud has the potential to be much more sinister. The first night, the family curled up at midnight, all in the same room, and didn't wake again until 17 hours later. Stephen wondered if it was a testament to how tired they were from all the antics in the house, but he also wondered if it was something more. His sleep had been plagued by this repeated dream, but he thought he hoped that things were going to calm down, but he was very much wrong. The day had been relatively peaceful and the children were milling around the house as per usual when Stephen heard a rattle. It was the rattling of a door handle and he strolled through the house in order to find the source. He found the source. It was the door to the basement and it was rattling violently. He knew the children were all behind him in the house, but the door handle continued to rattle more and more violently. The temperature dropped suddenly and Stephen felt the electric shock as though something had passed through him and then the screaming started low at first but getting louder and louder it was that same scream of a man in pain Stephen was frozen and listening but was snapped out of his stupor by a boom that shook the whole house it sounded like an explosion and the house began to shake like an earthquake the booming continued and the scream of the man was interspersed with the screams of his children Jesus the children Stephen fled upstairs to get the children. When he reached the door, they were screaming and banging on the other side, but the door wouldn't open. Stephen pulled the door handle, panicking now as the banging and shaking continued all around the house, but the door wouldn't budge. 
He pulled and banged with all his strength but to no avail. The screaming continued all around him and the screaming of the children and eventually the door flew open and the children rocketed out and they fled to the car for the second time in less than a week. As the children and Stephen sat in the car breathing heavily and crying, Stephen looked up and saw that every light in the house had come on and the black hulking shadow was stalking from room to room as though looking for them, seeking them out. But why? To do what? Stephen started the car and fled, vowing never to bring his children back to that house again. They were not going back. That much was a fact, but Stephen needed to go back in order to collect some of their belongings. To go back to the house, he needed to bring reinforcements, and this time he brought his mother and his father and his brother. There was no way that he was walking into that house alone. No way. His mother, father and him stood inside the front door and listened to the banging and dragging upstairs. Now interspersed with whispering voices. They knew there was no one upstairs, no one living at least. Oh my God, Stephen. His mother exclaimed as the electrical impulse passed through her. What is that? She whimpered. The whispering stopped and Stephen and his parents became aware of a heavy, laboured breathing. The same breathing that Stephen heard in his dreams. Stephen, get what you need. We need to get out of here. Stephen made his way upstairs and was met with a putrid smell like something had died. A sulfuric stench of rotten meat and then the screaming started. A man's scream of anguish mixed with the screaming of a woman. Stephen grabbed what he needed and fled down the stairs, pushing his parents out the door. As he stood on the front porch locking the door, his brother gasped, Jesus Christ, Stephen, look up. Two trees flanked the front porch and the trees were alive with figures, shadows that seemed to be moving down the branches. Stephen knew now that he wasn't crazy. This was not normal. His family had seen it now, and there was no way he was going back to that house. If you feel like... Emma, why is the story ending so abruptly? What, they just didn't go back and that was that? Well, no, dear listener, that is not that, because this episode is a two-parter. I started researching this episode this week thinking it would be a nice, clean-cut story for one episode, but no, no, it is an enormous story and it needs two whole episodes. So we're going to have a little bit of a chat about what has happened in this house so far, but I'm not going to go too in-depth into the analysis of this story, simply because we're going to have loads of time to do that next week. So we will be doing a more in-depth analysis of this story next week. And just to say that my sources for this story, I read a book called The Uninvited by Stephen Lechance himself. So he wrote a book about his experiences. And I also watched the uh, Discovery Channel documentary well it was from a tv series called a haunting and it's season three episode one and that is actually on a streaming service called pluto which i'd never ever heard of before it seems to be a free streaming service and this episode of a haunting happened to be on there which was great because it meant that i can go back i could go back and watch the documentary or the you know dramatization as well as actually reading the book 
And there are a couple of things I need to say about the book that I think are kind of important to say before I go any further. Um, I really like this story. It's a great story and it's a scary story. And the book, The Uninvited, is it's a it's a scary read. It's a scary read and it's very, very well written. But before you read it, I think there is a couple of things that you need to know. Uh, first of all, the book is deeply rooted, I would say, in a religious framework. That's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that. Um, It's deeply rooted in Christianity. There is a lot of talk about Jesus and God. And he begins the story as uh, as an atheist, definitely agnostic, uh, leaning towards atheism. And that changes throughout the story based, not just based on the experiences, but, you know, partially because of the experiences that he has. So obviously the conversations and explanations for what has happened, you know, they are rooted in in religion. I'm not judging that. And I understand that lots of people who listen to this podcast are religious. They have their own religious leanings, whatever religion that might be. But I just think it's important to know before you read the book that it is heavily rooted in religion. That might not be to everybody's taste. So therefore, people might not want to read it. The second thing that I will say is that it is my opinion that the author says some pretty, pretty, pretty problematic things in this book. Uh, Things that I personally don't agree with um, and I would urge people to just read it with a little bit of caution uh, there were a lot of descriptions of people that I found to be kind of horrible you know there was oh, there were a lot of comments about overweight people that I really disliked there were also some comments about the women in his life that I found kind of difficult to read and um, there were some moments within the text that kind of maybe showed him to be quite an aggressive man and I and I I struggled a little bit with it at times I have to say however that being said like I said it's a very well written story it's very well written and very interesting and he gives you a very unfiltered insight into his life and what he was going through at the time of the haunting in the union house So those are just kind of things to be aware of if you do decide to buy the book. I know that some people like to buy the book after they've listened to the episode. So just keep those things in mind. It is rooted in a religious framework and there are some things that he says within the book that I personally don't agree with. And obviously that's my opinion and everything about, you know, your response to a book is going to be subjective. So it might not be somebody else's opinion, but I just wanted to say that before anybody does go and read the book. But listen... I don't know what's going on in that house. But I'm scared. Like this story freaked me out. The description of the screaming in the household really, really does not do anything good for me. It really freaked me out. And if you can hear crying, by the way, in the background, the the child next door is crying. It's I don't I'm not haunted by the ghost of a baby who is crying. So if we go back to the beginning of the pictures falling off the wall, first of all. So he said in the book that basically there was like a border of little cherubs, like decorative cherubs that was in the living room. And his daughter was like, oh, we've got a picture of two angels. Like, let's make sure that we hang that up in there because it will match the cherubs. And that's why he hung hung the angels up and them obviously flying off the wall. Now, as as somebody who has moved house multiple times, of course, when you're hanging things up on the wall, you're going to think, oh, it's just my shoddy handyman work. You're not going to be thinking immediately, oh, it's a ghost. 
I personally would be thinking I've done that arseways because I do everything arseways in the house definitely the first three times I try and do it. And then he goes on to talk about how he realised that the, well, the children realised that the neighbours were crossing the road in front of the house and refusing to speak to him and refusing to speak to them as a family when they were like, hi, whatever, how are you? I will say that prior to this point in the book, he does talk about getting into quite um quite a heated row with, I think, two of his neighbours. So I don't know if maybe that goes some way to contributing towards the neighbours kind of crossing the road in front of the house or not saying hello to them. But even still, I would find that very strange that they were crossing the road so as not to walk in front of your house and also refusing to even wave back when you wave at them. Like that is very strange. He also talks about how, you know, at various points when the screaming was happening or the bangs and the shaking was happening, like the neighbor's dogs and stuff would start barking, which I think is very significant because it demonstrates that it wasn't just something that was happening within the house in its own little microcosm. Like it was impacting the outside world. Other people could hear this. So maybe that is why the neighbors and stuff, they weren't, they weren't, didn't want to engage with the house. There's just so much going on. Like, first of all, if I'd moved into a new house and I, you know, my kids were acting out or what I perceived as acting out. So, you know, the youngest boy is like, uh, the monster followed me up the stairs from the basement or, you know, I, I saw the monster when I went up to the toilet, whatever it was. Of course, you'd think they've had a lot of upheaval, upheaval in their lives. You know, mum has left. We've moved to a new house. I, I of co- would never take it seriously as a paranormal incident I take it seriously when I was speaking to the child about it you know I'd take their feelings into consideration and all of those things but in my head I wouldn't be like oh gosh that might be something more so I guess hindsight is very powerful when you then put all those things together and you go oh shit Matthew was right the whole time and obviously the screaming is horrific this entity tearing through the house seemingly like looking for them horrific all of those things are terrifying but all of the stuff piled into the shed all of the stuff belonging to previous tenants I'd be like are you fucking joking me no way that'd be the thing where I'd be like these people clearly left in a hurry because why else would they leave all this stuff behind them why would multiple tenants leave stuff behind them and then he talks about in great detail about when he contacted the landlord and he describes the landlord as being a really really eccentric man And the landlord says, oh, well, are you lighting candles around the house, Stephen? Because if you're lighting candles, does that mean you're practicing witchcraft? And therefore, are you causing these things to happen? And the landlord says, oh, one of the previous tenants, she used to like lighting candles. So therefore, that means she was practicing witchcraft. And that's probably why these things are happening in the house, which must be really frustrating when you're trying to get answers to have somebody who is just like, well, you know, you've brought all this on yourself because you like candles, etc., etc., And I am going to tell you prior to next week's episode that Stephen does go back to the house, but not for the reasons that you might think. I would love to know what your thoughts are on the first half of this story. Do you think it's something to do with the fact that, you know, the family had been through a lot of trauma? They'd had a death in the family and the mother had left and he had become a single father. You know, was it from moving around loads or is the Union Screaming House really haunted? And what do you think happened? Why does he keep dreaming about the man in the basement washing all the blood off him under the butcher's shower? 
like I said, I don't want to go too much into the analysis of the story this week. We're going to save that for next week so we can look at the story as a whole. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for more spooky content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time.